Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 2 and our discussion of the poem Dulce et Decorum Est by Wilfred Owen. This poem paints a ghastly image of the horrors of war and its subtle use of rhythms and disturbing imagery almost act as a time machine, transporting the reader back to one of the worst times and places imaginable. Hell on Earth, the front lines of trench warfare in World War I. So let's take a deep breath and go on that journey together. This poem is read to you by the wonderful Simon Jackson. Dulce at Decorum Ast by Wilfred Owen Bent double like old beggars under sacks Knock-kneed Coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs, and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep, many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshot. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of gas shells dropping softly behind. Gas, gas, quick boys! An ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time, but someone still was yelling out and stumbling, and floundering like a man in fire or lime, dim through the misty panes in thick green light, as under a green sea I saw him drowning. In all my dreams before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dream you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face, like a devil's sick of sin. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud, of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues, my friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie, dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. So I want to start by saying a few things here about the historical context of the poem. Owen, an Englishman, fought on the Western Front in World War I, and Dulce et Decorum S was written as a part of a longer series of poems that address war and specifically the lives of soldiers. Wilfred Owen was hospitalised while writing some of these poems as he recovered from shell shock. 
The poem's vivid detail of the horrors of war and underlying message that it is not honourable to die for your country was controversial and questioned the military recruitment propaganda being spread by the major powers during this time, which preyed upon the rise of nationalism that was taking place throughout this period. In fact, the poem was written in direct response to one of Owen's contemporaries, Jesse Pope, whose patriotic poems were used to drum up new male recruits for the war effort. In the original first draft of the poem that has been preserved over time, you can actually see how Owen, with his handwriting, addressed the poem to Jesse Pope herself. The draft also bears witness to Owen as he grappled for the right words to express the almost inexpressible, with the margin full of redrafted lines. More specifically, Dulce et Decorum S was written in response to Jesse Pope's famous poem, Who's for the Game, which painted a highly romantic and idealised picture of war, comparing war to a game and calling on men to not miss out on the fun. Right from the opening line of his poem, Owen juxtaposes Pope's patriotic message and her idealised rendition of the strong, heroic, noble and proud English soldier with the image of tired, worn-out, broken men limping back from a stint in the front lines. Of course, Pope's idea of the tall and heroic English soldier was almost immortalised in the recruitment posters of the time. Through his experiences of war in the trenches, Owen became convinced that the Great War must be ended. This was a controversial stance. Conscientious objectors were reviled and even imprisoned. In 1918, the same year Dulce et Decorum S was written, the philosopher Bertrand Russell was jailed for pacifist agitation. The social pressure was intense. Young men who didn't enlist throughout England were often shamed publicly by women and given white feathers as a mark of cowardice. For Owen, as a poet, it was imperative that he rebuke this kind of pro-war sentiment in two ways. First, by making it clear that he himself lacked no courage, and second, by giving an honest, detailed account of the kind of horrors trench combat actually entailed. Owen's work in general speaks of the disillusionment and questioning that was starting to emerge from the modernist movement in literature at the time, as well as an interest in playing with the structure of traditional forms. Owen also formed a friendship with the established war poet Siegfried Sassoon, who took him under his wing and mentored him. Together they worked on and talked about pacifist literature, and they put themselves up against the canon of pro-war poetry of the time that glorified the act of sacrificing one's life in war by promoting a form of intense realism in their poetic styles. Soon after writing the majority of his poems, Owen returned to combat in France. In November 1918, one week before the armistice, Owen died, killed in action. So I want to do something a bit different in this podcast, and rather than look at specific themes, I want to simply move through the poem starting with stanza one, 
Owen uses his perspective on hardships and sufferings in war to vividly capture a realistic scene of soldiers retreating from the front lines in search of some distant rest. His disjointed and stuttering start to the poem lifts the profile of the poem as an anti-war piece by challenging the stereotypical image of dignity and masculinity commonly used to portray soldiers at that time. Rather than creating strong, noble, Adonis-like figures of patriotic pride like fellow poet Jesse Pope, Owen constructs his words in a way that it lets the person reading the poem imagine what the soldiers were actually going through. He uses harsh guttural and sonically rich words, an awkward, irregular rhythm, and a seemingly haphazard seizure to create a vision of the front lines stripped back of any glory. The soldiers are bent double, like old beggars under sacks, or like crippled women, coughing like hags. And both these terms, beggars and hags, are very derogatory. The natural onomatopoeia in words such as coughing, curse and sludge, where the words sound exactly like the actions they describe, instill very visceral images in the reader's mind. These words actually work to transport the reader to the front lines in their imagination, who then get to bear witness to the soldiers struggling through the mud and filth. Owen uses consonants within the onomatopoeia as well to add to this overall effect and to lend a harshness to the sounds of the poem. In the first line, the letter B appears in three stressed words, bent, double, and beggars. And this gives way to hard C and K sounds with sacks, coughing, cursed, and backs. Owen also uses punctuation quite masterfully to alter and disrupt the normal flow and tempo of the poem. The injection of several commas into the opening stanza disrupts the flow of the poem and creates an uneasy, nauseating rhythm which mimics the sluggish, drunken movement of the soldiers moving towards their place of distant rest. The first full stop is not until the end of the fourth line, creating a drawn-out opening sentence which highlights and accentuates the soldiers' lack of reprieve. By not aligning the poem with the natural iambic pentameter rhythms typical of that period, Owen masterfully cuts off any notion of fluidity and grace at the knees, it is an extraordinary opening. Indeed, in Dulce et Decoromes, Owen regularly diverges from the typical iambic metre of his day in many subtle ways, and in doing so he is implying that life on the front line is an abomination to the natural rhythms of a well-lived life. Warfare is an offence to our very nature as human beings, and that is just one way that this poem is a masterpiece. It communicates as much through its broken rhythm as through its words. Moving on, the first stanza of the poem elaborates on the physical condition of the soldiers. The speaker emphasises their weariness through the use of hyperbole. The soldiers are not actually asleep, lame, blind, drunk or deaf. But the extreme conditions they are experiencing make these descriptions feel accurate. Another way to read these hyperbolic statements is that the trauma of the war makes them feel lame, blind, drunk and deaf, even if in a strictly physical sense they are not. The soldiers are also described as dispirited, bloodshot beasts of burden who have been stripped of their human dignity, devoid of hope, pride and purpose. In this description of being bloodshot, Owen is making a connection to how horses are shod with horseshoes, 
the men are therefore equated to livestock who are off to the slaughterhouse, their trench foot infested feet encased in blood. The overall image here is almost that of the walking dead. The war has deadened the men and reduced them to animals, even if it hasn't killed them yet. The last few lines of the first stanza introduce a new danger with the dropping of gas shells, weapons that release poison gases like chlorine and mustard gas. The soldiers are so desensitised at this point that they don't even hear the shells dropping and therefore they aren't fully aware of their danger. This highlights the horror of war which is so deeply traumatic the soldiers don't even discern an immediate threat to their lives. In stanzas two and three, we suddenly have the dropping of gas. Owen cleverly alters the rhythm of the poem again at the beginning of the second stanza as he describes this gas attack. Without protection, poison gas was lethal. Even moderate exposure could damage a soldier's eyes, nose, throat and lungs. The gas masks that the men had to put on to protect themselves were bulky and suffocating. Because of this, soldiers would have to move quickly to get their masks on at the first sign of gas. Short, sharp bursts of gas, gas, quick boys is punctuated by multiple exclamation marks, conveying this panic in a realistic way that echoes the rush of adrenaline that would have been experienced by the soldiers. Owen describes the panic to put on the gas mask as an ecstasy of fumbling. Of course, ecstasy is usually used to describe an overwhelming state of joy or pleasure. The soldiers fumbling to put on their masks are completely overwhelmed by terror, vividly aware of their mortal danger for the first time in the poem. War has taken a word we usually associate with joy and turned it into terror. Furthermore, the stressed syllables in the meter of line 9 create a percussive effect like little explosions of sound on the page. Gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. This effect that appears at other places within the poem as well mirrors the sounds from the battlefield where shellfire punctuates the days and nights. The poem itself actually sounds like a battlefield, and this is remarkable writing. Owen also weaves an extended analogy throughout the description of the gas attack describing being amongst the poisonous fumes as under a green sea. Once Owen puts his gas mask on, it is as if he has entered an underwater environment. The seizure of the comma after dim creates a really dramatic pause in line 13, signifying the transition into a new alien world, one full of danger and the potential for drowning. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea I saw him drowning. The misty panes of the mast disconnect him from the horror of the ocean and from the man's floundering ironically like a fish out of water, drowning. Owen goes further to describe the scene with great intensity, using a three-punch sequence of guttering, choking, drowning. These words are filled with emotion and with harsh consonant sounds that get stuck in your mouth and are hard to dislodge. 
It's truly evocative writing that transports you viscerally into this horrific scene. The speaker actually uses two similes to try to describe the gas soldier, in addition to the drowned analogy. The first is like a man in fire, which communicates the intensity of the man's suffering. The man moves as if he is literally on fire. The speaker thinks next of lime, an alkaline substance that burns human tissue. Owen therefore describes the gas attack in terms of both burning and drowning, and thereby amplifies how bad the suffering actually is, shining a light on the horrific and decidedly inglorious nature of death in war. Finally, in line 15, the poem suddenly shifts to a third stanza, and the speaker shifts the poem in two ways, from the past to the present tense, and from a description of the exterior world to a description of the speaker's own interior world. These two lines reveal the speaker's current traumatic reality, in which, having survived the previous gas attack, he now has recurrent nightmares about the gas soldier his earlier story describes. The images are inescapable, appearing in all his dreams, and highlight the enduring ramifications of war that can haunt a person for the rest of their life. In the final stanza of the poem, Owen uses rich imagery to illustrate the horror of disposing of his dead comrade's body, inviting the reader to join him in his smothering dreams. The use of the word flung is intended to have a heavy impact on the reader, as it displays with clarity the sheer inhumanity of war, Owen and his fellow soldiers being so broken and fatigued that they are forced to fling their dead comrade in a wagon like a piece of meat the white eyes writhing in his face. The brutal horror of the scene is exemplified by Owen comparing the dying soldier's face to a devil's sick of sin, an oxymoron which shockingly conveys the utter despair of the soldier as a devil is often represented as being sin incarnate. But in this case, human behaviour is more abhorrent than his own devilish nature. Owen concludes the poem by referring to Jesse Pope as my friend and labelling the title of the poem Dulce et Decorum Es, which is a Latin phrase which translates to it is sweet and fitting to die for your country. Here, he refers to the Latin phrase as the old lie and something that Pope, if she experienced the same things that Owen did, would not be so quick to endorse. It is worth taking a moment to also note that Owen capitalises the word lie which gives it extra definition. In other words, this isn't any old lie, it's the old lie, the granddaddy of them all. It's the lie that death in war is glorious and honourable. The words dulce et decorum es pro patria mori are a quotation from Horace's original poem that celebrates bravery and resilience in battle, with cheerful generalisations about the perils of war. By including the original lines of this poem, Owen evokes how far back into history the myth of glorious patriotic death actually goes, and therefore how deeply ingrained it is in modern culture.
So I want to end this podcast with some final thoughts. Poetry, while being the shortest of literary forms, is arguably the most profound in its ability to convey rich meaning in a beautiful yet sometimes disturbing way. Dulce et Decorum S is a case in point. Owen transports the reader directly to the front lines of war in a harrowing fashion that shakes you to your very core. He strips away the reader's ability to see anything ennobling about war because he shows war for what it really is. A horror show, a squalid, terror-filled vision of man's capacity to slaughter his fellow man. So when we see nations of people gathered still today to remember the fallen, what better poem than this to be recited to the crowds? It is an antidote to the glorification, patriotism and identity-making that can sometimes lie under the surface of such events. Owen helps us to remember war for what it truly is, lest we forget. So it's time for me to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. Next week on the Lit Poetry Podcast, we'll be featuring another fantastic poem by a contemporary poet and interviewing them on the podcast. I'm pretty excited about what we've got in store for you next week. If you want to support our work at Lit Poetry, please remember to subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. More poetry resources are available at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks again for all your support, and I'll see you next time. Dulce at Decorum Ast by Wilfred Owen Bent double like old beggars under sacks Knock-kneed, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge Till on the haunting flares we turned our backs And towards our distant rest began to trudge Men marched asleep, many had lost their boots But limped on, bloodshot All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of gas shells dropping softly behind. Gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time, but someone still was yelling out and stumbling, and floundering like a man in fire or lime, dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea, I saw him drowning. In all my dreams before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dream you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face like a devil's sick of sin, if you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud, of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory, the old lie, dulce et decorum est, pro patria mori.
You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.